Get to the church, blind! Get to the church, blind! Go! Now! I'm Pete Mitchell, and he's Peyton Jones, and you're listening to Hardcore Church Planning, the companion podcast for the Church Planner Podcast and Church Planner Magazine. Each week, we'll bring you interviews from planners who are in the trenches making it happen right now. These active church planners bear it all, share their successes, their failures, and what they'd wish they'd known when they were first starting out. Listen in to discover how God is working in their church plan. Hey, church planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. Coming to you for hardcore church planting. And uh, Peyton, who's our guest today? So I, you know, I am really, really honored to have my guest today who is, uh, and he's going to laugh, he's the most down-to-earth guy I think I've ever met. But uh, for me, he's a guy I respect. I met him years ago in Vista, California when I was a teenager, and he was doing some youth training, and uh, it was uh, down, gosh, forever ago. His name, you've probably heard of him. He was in Christianity Today not long ago being interviewed after taking Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa as the new senior pastor there. His name, and as my train goes by, his name is Brian Broderson, and I would consider him one of my pastors. So welcome to the show, Brian. Peyton, it's great to be with you. And, um, you know, to hear that train in the background, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm familiar with that train because uh, I used to go by myself when I lived down in that area. Absolutely, man. I live right on the train track. So that is the coaster going by my house. <laughs> You're right by a good surf spot, too. I really am. I really am. No doubt. No doubt. I just need to surf better and more often. That's all. But yeah. uh, Brian, it's good to have you on here, man. And uh, first off, what we always like to do is to kind of hear your uh, testimony, how you came to Christ, and then we'll branch into uh, how you got involved in church planning. Great. Yeah. Well, you know, Peyton, I came, I came to Christ in the 70s. Um, I grew up in uh, Southern, Southern California, uh, Orange County, the whole, you know, beach and surf scene and the rock and roll scene and the drug scene and all of the, <laughs> the whole scene you know, that was happening at the time. And, um, you know, in my late teens, early 20s, I just had kind of come to, you know, the end of my rope, so to speak, just with the, just a sense of the utter futility of life, you know. And um, so there you know, I look back now, I realize God was doing something in my heart that I didn't know at the time, but just the discontentment with everything around me. And, um, you know, I, I was living a pretty enjoyable life from the standpoint of, um, you know, dating pretty girls and going to fun parties and surfing all the time and playing a band and all, you know, all that stuff. It's kind of, kind of living the dream in those days as a young person. But I just had this incredible uh, sense of emptiness inside too, you know, so that just got me to thinking, you know, there, there's got to be more to, there's got to be more life than, than what I'm seeing at this point. So uh, believe it or not, we had a large uh, family Bible that was on the coffee table at my house as a teenager. And I, I just picked it up and I started to read it. And um, as I was reading through the gospels, you know, I, I was just coming face to face with Jesus and this person who, um, you know, was, uh, of course, you know, a historical figure, but at the same time, he was speaking as though um, I, I could actually know him in the present, you know, today. 
And so I, at, you know, to make a long story short, I, ultimately I just took up the challenge, you know, kind of the, the story, you know, Jesus, if you really are, um, you know, the eternal one, and if you're, you're really here uh, today and you can give me rest and peace, like you said, you know, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Because that's what I felt more than anything that I didn't have. You know, I was just a totally restless um, internally. And so I essentially just cried out to Jesus to, to do that, if, if that, you know, if that was still true today. And uh, he did. And um, that nothing, nothing's been the same since then. So it's been, uh, you know, it's been an awesome thing. I've just, uh, I just spent the last 24 hours or so. Every, every now and again, I get in these crazy sort of uh, Twitter arguments with atheists, you know, and uh, <laughs> I, I posted something that, that, obviously came up on their radar so i got this barrage of atheists sort of attacking me and you know i just i just picked one out of the bunch and decided to engage with them for uh you know the past 24 hours but you know the thing is it's just um you know i'm kind of going back and forth with, with this guy and, and of course he's give me evidence give me proof there's no proof you know have, you know there's no proof for jesus and in the end i just well you know um yeah there's there's historical evidence in the new testament there's uh, millions, of, if not billions, of transformed lives. And, you know, bottom line is, I met him. I know him. Uh, he changed mm. my life. So, you know, you can argue all your philosophy and all your uh, pseudoscience you want, but uh, you can't take away from what I know. I think that's where it comes down to. I think that uh, even atheists who are entrenched in those arguments, that's, I think they have more respect for for even coming to that, that, okay, your faith is strong. That's awesome. You know, I see that. I know that I think, you know, and I learned something from you years ago. I, I heard you speak at creation fest when I was a missionary overseas. Uh, and you, I remember you mentioning that, uh, I think it was someone from the reform camp. They wanted to argue with you over the radio or something and your response, you just go, Hey, I got lost people out here that, that need Jesus. Why why would I come on your show and waste time where I could be yeah. reaching people, you know, reaching the lost to argue with you? And I thought that was such a good point. And I actually that was a takeaway for me. I actually decided that's my philosophy from now on on that stuff. So you know. I'm, I'm still there, especially when it comes to arguing with Christians about non essential non-essential matters, you know, which most, most of the arguments among Christians obviously would, would be non-essentials. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Hey, you, uh, you, you're, you have quite a history with church planning. I mean, you're a former missionary. You and I were both in Europe different times, but, uh, tell us a little bit about your story. Cause I know it's, uh, it starts off, you know, uh, in Southern Cal and then you made your way to Europe. And then you became really kind of like a father figure to a whole generation of church planners. Um, you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I, you know, all of this happened just kind of, um, you know, not accidentally, but uh, without any real uh, plan on, on my part. I just, uh, at a certain point, I, I was given an invitation by a couple in Eastern Europe to come and visit them. I was on a, I was just on sort of a vacation, a little bit of a slash ministry vacation in Europe, met a young couple from uh, Eastern Europe, uh, lived under a communist uh, regime at the time. And, um, but there was a little, little more freedom under their particular rule than what had been under the Soviet 
communism. So anyway, they invited me to come to their uh, come to their city, you know, their their, their village as they called it, and uh, you know, see if we couldn't kind of help out the church. And uh, uh, not knowing any better, I just said, okay, yeah, that sounds good. I'll I'll, I'll come to it. I'll, little did I know that that trip would be uh, our um, launched by the Holy Spirit into a whole new world of ministry and church planting. Uh, so we went into um, what is today Serbia and, um, you know, came, hooked up with them and went to a few existing churches, old, you know, churches primarily with, with older people and, you know, relatively dead to say the least. And um, in the, the process of, of, that trip got out on the streets and started talking to some of the young people and um, you know, they, they were wide open to the gospel. So we, we ended up leading a half a dozen kids to Christ one night and they brought a bunch of friends the next day. And within about three days, we'd seen, you know, about 25 young people give their lives to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And the one thing I knew is that we couldn't leave them as orphans. None, none of the churches that existed at the time uh, would take them, of course, because of the way they looked and, you know, their their hair and the music they listened to and everything. So so I just thought, okay, we got to do something for these guys. So I, I said to them on my departure, I said, hey, just stay tight with each other, hang out in this spot. It's called the monkey place because of where everybody went hung out and I said, you know, stay in the monkey place and uh, I'll send, I'll send a few people back within a month and we'll help you grow in your faith. And we did. So I got home, uh, rounded up four young missionaries, two guys and two girls, never been to the mission field before, had no idea where um, Serbia was. And we sent them over and that was the first uh, church plant in Eastern Europe for us you know, as Calvary Chapel. The um, the Eastern Bloc uh, countries had just been liberated from the Soviet dominion, and Serbia was still at the time. Serbia was part of six uh, provinces that made up Yugoslavia, and they were still under um, the the communist regime that had been begun by Tito. But that was in the process of falling apart as well. So so that was our launch in, and that was our first church plant in a city called Subotica. And uh, that's a, that city bordered um, southern Hungary. So we crossed the border. We went into Hungary, and we found the same kind of uh, situation right across the border. The only difference was the Yugoslavians had more Western influence, so they spoke uh, – a lot of the young kids spoke English. Uh, the Hungarians had zero Western influence. They were indoctrinated by the Russians, so they only spoke you know, Hungarian and Russian. So it was a little bit more of a challenge to communicate with them, but – um, you know, God made it happen, and we planted a second church about six months later in that little town of Vita. And uh, now we've got, you know, um, I don't know, 80 churches or so in the region there. So that that's kind of that's how the whole church planting thing started for me. Uh, just the realization that we've got we've got new converts, and we need to disciple them. And I think Jesus, when he, when he gave us the Great Commission to go make disciples of the nations, I think he had in mind, go start churches, because that's, of course, exactly what the apostles did. So we, did, we just followed their example. 
the ironic thing is that as a result of of what God did through what you're talking about right there, that story, I am indirectly connected in that I got my start in church planning as a result of that with uh, a good friend of mine back when he lived in America was a guy, and you know him very well, but a guy named, uh, for our audience, a guy named Phil Metzger. Yeah. And Phil married Andrew and I. He performed the wedding ceremony for us. He was one of our, our good friends. I did yeah. not know that. Yeah, we, we were tight with, with he and Joy, and uh, we went over on a trip uh, with them to uh, Vesprium. And yeah. we, uh, I gosh, we, we were there. It, it was amazing. And that was my first taste of church planning. And it was only a short-term trip. Yeah. I remember thinking, this is what I want to do. And it was before, it was only maybe uh, two years later that I hit the mission field yeah. and uh, went over to Europe. But that was my first taste. And I remember thinking, I want to do this. Yeah. And uh, I didn't know if I was called to it yet. But uh, I remember just kind of getting the bug. It was my first overseas international mission trip. And, of course, that was, like I said, a whole generation of uh, church planners. That was, that was kind of your grandbaby churches. Yeah, right. So, so we started there, you know, Serbia, uh, uh, crossed over into Hungary, uh, went into the Ukraine, uh, up into Russia, and, um, you know, did, did that for quite a few years myself. And then started feeling kind of a similar calling into to Western Europe. And, and for me, you know, particularly that was uh, Britain. And so my intention in the UK was to kind of just do the same thing we've been doing in Eastern Europe, you know, go in, do some outreach, lead some people to Jesus and leave behind somebody to disciple them. Um, and so we planned a, a big, uh, a big outreach for the, um, it was the the winter, <laughs> the winter, perfect time for an outreach. The winter of 1996, um, we went into London with a team. <clears throat> we did a lot of street evangelism and um, led a few people to Christ, met some Christians in the area, and, you know, went in with the intention, okay, we're going to plant a church. Uh, when I, you know, the initial thrust in, I had no idea at that time that God was actually going to call me to turn over the church I was pastoring there in uh, North County, San Diego, and go be the pastor of the London Church. And that, of course, is is what ex exactly what happened. And um, and you know when I went to the UK, Peyton, there were uh, there were four uh, churches that were affiliated with Calvary Chapel. And as you know, because you were part of that whole thing as well later on. Uh, there, there's about 50 uh, churches that are associated with us now through the years. You know, it's been 18 yeah. years ago that, uh, almost 20 years ago that I uh, went over to do the, you know, the launch in the, the, the initial evangelistic thrust, but uh, 18 years ago that I moved to the UK. And so, uh, you know, it's good. And we're still, we got new churches being planted all the time. Tell, tell us a little bit about your calling to plant, because, I mean, it, it, it probably took you by surprise, like most of us, that, hey, I think, I think I'm called to plant churches. How, how did that come about? Yeah, you know, it really did take me by surprise. I wasn't, I mean, I, I, I got the vision for what we had done in Eastern Europe. I got that pretty quickly, and it just, it became so obvious to me, you know, the, these these places need churches. I've been in places in Eastern Europe where you got populations of two, 300,000 people with no evangelical church. So I thought, okay, wow. you know, this is like a no brainer. You've got to yeah. find 
churches in these places. So, so that part of it came uh, fairly quickly, and I, I got it. I understood it, and we we just started doing it. The thing that shocked me was that God actually called me to go do it. Why? My original intention in London was to do just what we've done in Eastern Europe, you know, to find somebody that we could send in and support as a pastor. And, you know, they would be, I, I always looked at those guys as just sort of extensions of our ministry. They were just in another country, you know. Um, and and I, I prayed hard and I searched and I, I had a, you know, a half a dozen guys that I thought would, would do a great job. And um, the problem was uh, none of them really were on board for it, you know. And I'll never forget the day God spoke to my heart clearly and said, now, why would I give you the vision and then have somebody else go carry it out? Uh, I gave you the vision because you're going to go do it. Mm. Um, that was the big shock for me. But, you know, by, by the time it had come around, I was so excited about church planting. I'd been doing it for about five years. Um, I, I was completely ready for it. You know, I, I had a great ministry that the Lord had let us, uh, develop there at the church that we were pastoring in, um, Vista, California. But, um, and, and I never, there, I, I had no regrets. I, I, it was a relatively problem free ministry. It wasn't like I was looking for a way out, but God just began to change my heart. And for many years, I'd had a real big heart for, for London. And uh, the, you know, my biggest influence was probably Lloyd Jones. And I, I as I would read through, um, <laughs> I remember reading through the Lloyd Jones biography, you know, the, the first 40 years and then the, the fight of faith, you know, that second large volume. And, and when I would read about his Sunday night services, for example, at Westminster Chapel, and I'd read about all the, the people that had come from the various nations to London to study and so forth. And there they were, I just would, fantasize being able to do that like that would mm. be the most amazing thing and you know lo and behold uh, there came a day when i was standing there behind the pulpit in london myself and having that very same experience so it was just absolutely <laughs> and as you can see I, I can get excited about it uh right now, <laughs> back on it i can get up and go do it all over again yeah i hear you man me too me too and, uh, you know, going to um, church planning and, and, you know, Ed Stetzer said that during the 20th century, uh, Calvary Chapel was probably the, the biggest or most prolific church planning movement um, during that hundred years. And I, I know you're, it's really funny because I, I, I say that, and yet I know about you, interestingly enough, is here you are, senior pastor at Calvary Costa Mesa, you're not like the rah rah banner flag waver for Calvary Chapel. Like we're the best thing on the planet, and I totally respect that about you because there's a, a humility in you where you recognize what God's doing all over right now, and I find that so refreshing. Um, and I, I I love the way that you love what God's doing in the kingdom of God, how the Holy Spirit's just pouring Himself out in different different parts of the world, different movements, but. Um, what what I kind of you know what, what's interesting to me is really that's that's what it seems to have been because I'm going to ask you a question that's going to be uh, a little bit more um, maybe what you look for in a planner but I also know that with Calvary Chapel um, the thing that Stetzer pointed out was that there weren't a lot of rules there wasn't a lot of structure I mean you know we came out of a hippie movement right so it was kind of like you know people just like hey man I'm just following the Holy Spirit 
But Stetzer pointed out that's probably what gave it that viral quality was that it was it had a freedom. But yeah. but to turn the question around, um, having worked with many church planners over the years, what are the qualities that you look at in a church planner where you think, you know, I think you need to have these qualities to make it? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, not not every church we've planted succeeded, mm-hmm. you know, and looking back with hindsight, you realize that, uh, you know, occasionally we just uh, we had the wrong guy out there and, it, you know, it wasn't necessarily that it was a bad guy. It was just you know, the giftings weren't there. There was a willingness. And a lot of times, you know, we went with the willingness and there was enough gifting to see like potentially this could really happen. But then, you know, through the course of time, you just see that, you know, some guys, um, some guys were called to that lead role. And then some of the guys that ended up in lead roles really should have been more support people, you know? And I, I think beside the, the, you know, the, the fundamental things like a genuine, Born again experience, uh, a, a true you know commitment to growing in Christ, you know sanctification, all of those things, uh, gifting you know to teach the Bible, uh, a heart to evangelize. Those are all sort of givens. But I would say the other component that sometimes is is not totally recognized, but over the years I've come to see how vital it is. It's really that that gift, like a visionary gifting, you know, a, a, mm-hmm. an apostolic, a church planter has to have sort of like an apostolic uh, component as well, you know, because you're not there as a church planter. You're not there just to plant that church. You're there to see that church reproduce itself. And you can, you you know, not everybody has that vision. I'm not faulting people for it. It's just the reality. You know, I know tons of guys who are great pastors. They're great teachers. They love God's people. And they do a fantastic job at shepherding the flock. Uh, but they've, they've, they've not reproduced in the sense that they've gone out and, you know, planted a lot of churches. Uh, I don't look at that negatively and think, now these guys are really blowing it. I just think that that's not their calling, you know. Yeah. And, yeah. and I, for myself, I, I really see it as a calling. This is a calling God put on my life. Uh, there was a season when I, I really wrestled through all of this because I knew that I was a pastor teacher. I knew that I was, you know, a bit of an evangelist. But then I started to sense that there was this, um, this, and I'll use this strong term, there was this apostolic calling on me. And I just, that was like a frightening thought, you know, because in our circles, that could be perceived as totally wacky. You know, oh, Brian thinks he's an apostle. That, you know, poor guy's gone off the rails, you know. But, uh, you know, to me, it was just kind of this undeniable thing. And, And on one occasion, as this was all brewing in me, I went to a, a, a person who was uh, older than me, much more experienced in ministry in me, uh, than I was. And I said, look, this is what I'm feeling. I want you to be honest with me. Tell me if I'm nuts. And if I am, then, you know, rebuke me and sort me out. And, uh, you know, if I'm not, then, you know, help me to understand this a little better. So I just laid on him. I said, you know, I think God's put this apostolic calling on me. And he, he said, you know what? It's there. I see it. And mm-hmm. go with it. So... So that to me is really, you know, that's a, that's a huge part of this thing. Yeah, it's so funny because I felt the exact same thing when I came to that where I'm like, what does this mean? And I'm like, I know it's not like you got some magic powers or you're some pope. You know, there's got to be two different versions of this thing because Paul's calling. He's using that word for Timothy and 
I remember having the same. I remember talking to you about it actually, and you kind of said, you kind of laughed and said, "Yeah, I came to that. That's that's where I'm at." And I'm thinking, you're gonna tell me, dude, you're nuts. And I go to my sending pastor, Bill Welsh, and he smiles and winks and says, "I came to believe that a few years ago." And I I've just found that there's more and more people because an apostolic guy is is it's a movement, like you said, it's not just a single church. It's 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 reproducing um, like Paul did and other guys, yeah. and it it's almost like your ministry becomes not about your ministry anymore. It becomes about their ministry. Yeah, and I'm I'm much more comfortable with that as where I sit nowadays. That's probably yeah. why we do the podcast. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, really, I mean, that's kind of it. Really, is sort of our ethos, you know, as a movement. Because uh, although Pastor Chuck Smith was not the guy who necessarily, you know, himself went out, but he, he was the guy who just gave the green light to hun- literally hundreds of guys. And he, he gave them the, the inspiration, you know, through his own ministry that, Hey, you know, God can do something through your life. And so, yeah, as Chuck would say, uh, go for it. <laughs> oh, glory. <laughs> You know, it, it's funny because uh, the, that's part of the uh, apostolic gifting, I think, is, you know, I, I picture Paul rolling through a, a town and seeing Timothy and these other guys. And he just, I think part of the apostolic gifting is recognizing the gifts of others. Absolutely. And, and empowering them and equipping them. But um, but Chuck had that. I remember watching the, the memorial service, and I know you have it because it's the same thing in Europe. Uh, that fingerprint is all over, but... In uh, it, it Chuck Smith's memorial, I remember so many guys that stood up there and talked. Yeah. They just mentioned that they were passing through Costa Mesa. They were maybe failed pastors here or, or didn't know what they were doing with their life. And it was one like five-minute conversation with Chuck. Yeah. We looked at him and said, I think you're called to be a pastor. And now this guy's like, I don't know, he's playing at all these churches. or And that was part of his gifting. Yeah, and, and you know, the amazing thing. Is it, is it definitely, um, you know, it flowed over uh, far beyond just the Calvary Chapel movement. My son pastors a church up in the North Bay area, uh, in California. And, you know, there's a, a number of churches up there. He, he associates with these guys. They're all you know, considerably older than him. They're, none of them are Calvary Chapel church pastors, but the majority of them uh, were influenced by Chuck. You know, they some of them got saved. Uh, some of them, just like you just mentioned, they just had a conversation with them that, you know, sent them off into ministry. I was in London some years ago talking to a very well-known British uh, evangelical leader, and he told me a story that I had no idea about. And it was uh, from the 70s when, when Chuck came through London in the 70s. He and a half a dozen guys spent three hours with Chuck. And he said it changed his life. Hmm. And now he's one of, you know, I won't mention his name, but he's one sure. of the most well-known evangelical leaders, not just in the UK, but really around the world. So yeah, it's a crazy thing. That's awesome. Okay. Now I told you before this interview and there were, we're, we're I know we're running out of time. You're quite busy, but um, I told you that we we're going to do, and I was only teasing. I said, we're going to do a Chuck Smith, uh, true or false. And one of my questions jokingly was Chuck Smith. Secret WWF wrestling fan, true or false? But I'm not going to ask you that question. It, based on what you just said, I want to ask you, I heard a story years ago, and I want to know if it's an urban legend, kind of like the old uh, Jimmy Page said, Phil Kagan was the best guitarist in the world, kind of urban legend. And it was that uh, 
let's see, what was it? Um, did is it true that uh, Chuck Smith and Lloyd Jones sat down together during that trip? That is a fact of history, Rita. Yes. Woo! Yeah. Um, as a matter of fact, Richard Bennett, who is still alive, Richard's in his 80s, uh, he worked for MLJ and uh, he was coming to California. And Lloyd Jones said, Richard told me this directly. He, Lloyd Jones said to him, when you go to California, find Chuck Smith. <laughs> wow. Find Chuck Smith because everything that we've been longing for and praying about in regard to revival, uh, I believe that God is doing that through him. And you're, you're going to see it when you find Chuck Smith. So, so Richard came to California. He met Chuck. And then Chuck, uh, in the early, um, well, yeah, would have been the 70s there, he, when he was in London, he had a personal meeting with, uh, with MLJ. They met and uh, spent a few hours together and talked. And, yeah, it was really, uh, it was really a great time. And Chuck, you know, Chuck, Chuck wasn't much uh, by the way of, of talking about a lot of these things. So I would cry little things out of him every now and again. And, you know, he'd just say, oh, yeah, you know, it was great, you know, uh, meeting Lloyd Jones. <laughs> <laughs> and then he called the Sermon on the Mount. You know, he loved he loved uh, MLJ's Sermon on the Mount. He just thought that was the greatest thing on the Sermon on the Mount ever. So, yeah, that that, that did happen. It's not that's a great. not an urban legend. Oh, they see that's good to know because you know I knew at some point during this interview we would geek out on Lloyd Jones for a couple minutes. So yeah, and not to mention that you definitely had your uh, Lloyd Jones, uh, you know, inspiration by him, passion developed through him you were ministering at his original church in wales yeah yeah, yeah. i mean and unlike chuck you know i want to talk about it man i want to tell everybody <laughs> just teasing well, you know, about about uh, 10 years ago maybe maybe a little bit longer uh, i preached at westminster chapel and, you know it was one of those times where i just stood there in that pulpit and i thought wow this is this is really really amazing so it kind of came all the way around you know all the Things that I, I used to fantasize about God actually, he let me do it. Did Did you wear the Geneva gown though when you stood? No, no, I didn't. I I just wore it. Oh man, those days are long gone. The Geneva gown, and uh, you know, it's so funny because you you look at the book covers. Lloyd Jones is on and. I thought when I moved over there, they told me I was going to a church. I actually thought, oh, they're going to want me to wear one of those dresses when I'm in the pulpit. And uh, they didn't, though. Apparently, that had long gone. So, But I did have to wear a tie. And I got to say, as a Calvary Chapel boy, that was a little bit of a, 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 a little bit of a shift for me wearing a tie. And, yeah, well, uh, that's because you weren't in Costa Mesa because we wore ties here. just <laughs> recently, <laughs> so... Oh, man, I did not know that. My goodness. But, hey, you know what? It has been awesome having you on. And uh, there's a couple things. If you guys want to um, get some great church planner training, um, Brian has a site. It's getting an overhaul right now, but it's backtobasics.com. And he's got a series. Backtobasicsradio.com. Oh, sorry. Okay. Back to basicsradio.com. And you can go on there. He's got a series of interviews um, with church planners. He's got training there for you. And also, uh, if you haven't checked out calvarychapel.com, um, there are some excellent articles uh, on there. Again, it's a church planning movement, um, Calvary Chapel, uh, historically, traditionally. And they launched this new site, and it's just jam packed with really good stuff. 
Um, it's, it's, it's really, uh, things are selected. They're very careful what gets up there and it's just good, man. So go check that out. And, uh, other than that, Brian, anything you want to add before we get off? Uh, well, you know, Peyton, I, I said this years ago and I'm still very passionate about it. I don't know why, um, every city, town and village on the planet shouldn't have a Bible believing Christ honoring, God glorifying church. So I'm just uh, trying to do my little part to help that happen. And I know you are too. So um, that's awesome. And I'm glad we're uh, partnering together in this great adventure uh, called the kingdom of God. Amen. Well, thanks for coming on. You have been listening to Hardcore Church Planning with Peyton Jones and Pete Mitchell. And remember, take it out, Pete. <laughs> Remember, if you've been called to plant a church, go hardcore, go home. You've been listening to Hardcore Church Planning. Hardcore Church Planning has been brought to you by the Church Planner Podcast and the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the App Store for both Apple and Android devices. If you like this episode, leave us a positive review. If you didn't like this episode, we'll be happy to give you your money back.